working through the Gospel of John, and uh, we've come to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, what I want to share with you this morning are things that a blind man saw. Things that a blind man saw. You see, we, we see things, and we're quite sure how we see things. But what if we don't see at all how things really are? Because we can only see with the sight that we have. But what if that sight could be changed, could be extended, could be deepened? What if you could see reality suddenly that you never saw before? That would be as if once you were blind, and now you can finally see. Well, spiritual truth is that way. And that's what's, that's, that's what's illustrated for us out of the reality of this story in John chapter 9. And what I want to do is I want us to hear it firsthand. I want to hear it first person. And by doing this, by, by dramatizing a little bit, I don't mean to say that the movie or the drama is better than the book, but... I want you to hear the story, a story many of you already know fairly well. I want us to hear it in a new way. And I haven't just tossed in details extra just to fill the gap. Uh, it, I'm not doing this because I didn't study this week. I went hiking instead. No. Uh, we, 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 you spend a lot of extra time to fill in those gaps if this really is what I'd be explaining to you if we were, if you were, were approaching a chapter that way. So if you will give me the liberty... I want us to see the things that a blind man saw. The day started like any other day. This is what I did most every day. I learned a good pattern, and so I followed it. I stuck with it. You see, I would, I would, uh, I would go to the temple area. Now, I couldn't get into the temple because, you see, I was blind. I'd been blind from birth, and... Well, there was a line that was attributed to David that said that David had cursed the blind and the lame. And so we weren't allowed into the temple area itself. But I could be near to the southern steps. There I could be in an area where people would pass by who were on their way up and into the temple. You see, this I had learned along the way. I, I was a blind man, and the blind have needs. There were no social programs in my generation. There were no job training opportunities. The only job I could get was to sit somewhere and ask other people for help. To sit and to beg and plead for the mercy of others. 
And I found that a good place to do that was there on the way that people would pass by as they came to the temple. Because, you see, here are people who are, they're just about ready to come before God. And many people strangely think that if they could do maybe just a little more, something good on their way, that maybe God would receive them more favorably. And when you're hungry, you're willing to use that to your advantage. But I also realized that even those who came in faith, those who came in faith knowing that they came before God needing his mercy, those who understand their own need for God's mercy tend to be more willing to be merciful toward others. And so there I was. I'd found a spot there in the sunshine on the, on the, on the streets that led just up to those southern steps. It was a good place to be. And I heard a crowd of people, a group, approaching. I could hear them talking among themselves, and as they grew near, I realized they were talking some about me. I was used to that. That happened quite often, especially with groups of disciples, learners with their rabbi. The question commonly asked when they would come towards me is they would say, well, well, what's his problem? What they meant by that is not, well, they could see that I was blind. They could see that I was begging. But, but, but they were asking, well, Whose fault is this? Whose sin caused him to be blind? I mean, here's a man who was blind from birth. Consider this, they would say. Is it because of his own sin even before he was born? Or is it because of his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? Was it something that they did? See, I was used to my circumstances being the cause of others' philosophical debates. Sometimes it's easier to talk about somebody's problem than it is to help them in it. And sometimes maybe they had a, a motive for their questions. You know, if it was because of his own sin, well, maybe we don't need to help. Maybe we should just let him be. But if he's a victim of somebody else's wrongdoing, then maybe there's more of an obligation upon us that we should help him, that we should do something for, that we should enter in. So as they're philosophizing, I'm waiting for the rabbi then to pass judgment upon me. Was it me today? Was it my parents? You know, who knows what he's going to say. But this rabbi is a little different than the others that I had heard over the years. This rabbi said, no, it's not because of his sin. It's not because of his parents' sin. And he seemed quite definite about that. And not surprising because how would he know? But he said something else that caught my attention. He said, this is for the glory of God to be revealed. What did he mean by that? His circumstances, as miserable as they are, as pitiful as they are, they are for the glory of God to be revealed. Is God glory seen in one helping another? Well, maybe. But he said more. He said, while it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Because night is coming when no man can work. Oh, I think he's talking about the Sabbath now. He's talking about the Sabbath where the night is coming and then the Sabbath starts so you can't do any more work. But he's off by a day because the Sabbath is today. This is the Sabbath. But then he goes on and he says, 
I, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. That's, I'm not quite following all of this. But the bit about we must do the works of the one who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. He's talking a lot about work here, and it's the Sabbath, and I'm getting a little concerned because I've seen it before. Young rabbis want to have their debate with the Pharisees at hand about what are the works that you can do or can't do on the Sabbath. And they often get into a big deal over this. And as they do, the crowds gather around and everybody listens to them and everybody watches them and nobody pays any attention to me. And nobody gives anything to me. They're all caught up in the debate of the moment. And so I figure it's probably going to be another lean day for me. But this rabbi comes closer, and he stoops, and he spits, and he stirs, and he smears, and he sends. I could hear and almost feel him stooping closer to me. And I hear the sound of somebody spitting onto the ground right in front of me, almost as if he was almost spitting on me, but he did not. And then he stirs that spittle into the dust there on the ground and he, he stirs it around and he makes mud from the dust. And he takes that mud and he smears it on my eyes. And then he sends me to the pool of Siloam to wash it off. The pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. I, I catch that because he said that we must do the work of him who sent me. So what did I do? Well, I went. I went and I washed and I saw. Now, now, now you might ask me, why, why did you go? Well, I could say I had mud in my eye and it stung. I'm blind, but I can still feel. And yet there's water much closer if I just needed to wash off the dirt out of my eye. But there was something about him and what he said and how he said it. There was something inside me that told me, compelled me. I needed to believe him. I needed to do what he said. And so I went down those steps toward the pool of Siloam. And I went down the steps of the pool into the pool, much like this. And I, I, I plunged my whole self in. I wasn't taking any chances. And I went into the water and I washed that mud off my face and I came up and I could see. Let me do that right. I could see. <laughs> you know, I ran back up those, that step street there. I ran up to, for the first time in my life. This was a walking stick, not a feeling stick. I ran up that road, and I, did, I wasn't worried about what obstacle I might trip over. I wasn't worried about who I might run into. <laughs> I ran into some of my neighbors. They see, they'd see me day after day sitting there in the same place. And some of them said, wait, isn't that the guy? Isn't he? They didn't really know me. They walked on by. Isn't that the guy that used to, used to sit there and beg? And some of the others of them said, well, it looks like him. But, but 
No, he's blind. This guy can see. And I'm telling them, no, it's me. I was blind and now I can see. And they said, well, 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 how did that happen? And I said, well, there was this rabbi. His name was Jesus. And he stooped and he spit and he, he stirred and he smeared and he sent. And I went and I washed and I saw. There it is. They said, wow. They said, wow. This is wonderful. This is a miracle. Nothing like this has happened before. And so they said, we got to go tell somebody, hey, we thought about maybe we should run into the temple. I said, no, 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 the Sadducees are there. The Sadducees don't believe in miracles. Somebody said, let's go to the Pharisees. They'll support us. The Pharisees believe in miracles. The Pharisees believe in angels. The Pharisees are looking for God to intervene and do something. And God has done something here. So off we went to find some Pharisees. And they're not difficult to find. Went to the Pharisees. We thought they were going to be so excited. Look what God has done. But... Actually, they had these very serious looks on their faces. They said, what have you done? Well, this man, he healed him. He gave him his sight. (gasps) What did he do, they said? Well, I told my story again. He stooped. He spit. He stirred. He smeared. He sent. I went. I washed. I saw. And they said, oh, wait a minute. Did you say he stirred? Did you say he made mud and he smeared, he stirred that mud around, then he smeared that mud on your eyes? You know you can't go making mud on the Sabbath. You know, making mud on the Sabbath, that is work. In fact, that is the worst. That's a wor- that, you know what that reminds us of? You know what that's like? That's like when we had to make mud bricks back in Egypt. That's the worst kind of work that one could do on the Sabbath rest that God gave us out of Egypt. This man can't be from God. There's no way. So he said, well, others among them were arguing, but yeah, yeah, we know about the Sabbath and the laws and the mud, but, but you know, he was blind and now he can see. Clearly this is a miracle. And so they're arguing among themselves, right? They're trying to figure it out. Well, what was it that happened here? And so they went, turned back to me. You know, like I'm going to sort out their argument about their laws that I've not actually read. I've just listened to them argue about it before. Talk about a case of the blind leading the blind, huh? So they asked me, well, what do you say about him? Who do you say that he is? And I say, well, clearly he is a prophet. And they said, well, we just can't, we can't accept that. We can't accept that he's a prophet if he's going to break our rules concerning the Sabbath. And so they said, you know, this whole thing, we're just not sure about this. So they called in my parents to testify. Well, they weren't there. What do they know? Oh, they're asking my parents to find out, was I really born blind at all? They're trying to suggest that maybe I made the whole thing up. Maybe I wasn't really born blind. Maybe I have been begging under a fraud this whole time. These religious frauds dare to insinuate that I'm the one who's the fraud. And so they call in my parents and they grill them a while. And my parents are not really excited about this because they're afraid of the Pharisees. They're afraid of the power that they have. And they know that if they say the wrong thing, if they... they, 
are favorable to Jesus, and they're excited too. They think Jesus has done a miracle. They think he must be a prophet, but they can't say that because the leaders have already decided if anybody believes in Jesus, they're going to be expelled out of the synagogue. And so they asked my parents, is this your son? Yes, this is our son. We've known him his whole life. And they said, was your son born blind? And they said, oh, yes, we can assure you he was born blind. In fact, they had undergone a whole lot of grief over the years about that because of all the whisperings, all the talking that people would done, suggesting what it was that they might have done for their son to be born blind. Yes, this is our son. Well, then if he was born blind, then how can they now see? That's the real issue, isn't it? Who did this? Who are you going to give the credit to? And they said, whoa, wait a minute here. We weren't there. In fact, our son is of age now. He's a man under the law. You can ask him. He can speak for himself. Thank you, my parents. There they go. Throw me under the camel. So so they come back to me again. You know, seeing my parents there, it reminds me of another reason why you need to hear my story. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to believing in Jesus. There was then. Surely there must be now. But Jesus has warned us of this. He has said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for even the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Imagine me, a prophet, or like them in some way. So the Pharisees turned back to me again, not being able to squeeze something out of my parents. They turned back to me and they insist that I tell it their way. They say, give glory to God, for we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. You know, it's interesting. You can tell all kinds of things. You can believe all kinds of wacky things about how things happened and where things came from. But when you bring Jesus into it, that changes things. You can believe even in God generally. Just don't get too specific. Just don't bring up the name of Jesus. Because when you start talking about Jesus, they've got a problem with that. Because Jesus was very specific, you see. Jesus was very specific about who he was. And he was very specific about us. He was very specific about them. And they hated him for what he showed about them. So they say, give glory to God generally, but you leave Jesus out of it. They keep pressing for details. They're trying to maybe catch me in more specifics of the story. They're going to approve even more different ways that they can say that Jesus violated their rules and their traditions how right he was. I mean, they are missing what is as clear as day that once I was blind and now I can see. And they want to know all the little details, how right Jesus was about these who strain at gnats while they'll swallow a camel. Well, 
It occurs to me that they're probably also trying to do something else. If they can keep badgering me, if they can keep questioning me, if they can turn me this way and that way, they can probably get me to tell the story a different way, to add another detail, to leave something out. And then they can say, see, he changed his story. He's obviously not a reliable witness when the problem is not my weak witness at all, as weak as it may be. The problem is they simply don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe. And yet... They would make me out to be the liar. I'd had about enough. Pressing for details, I say, I've told you before. He stooped, he spit, he stirred, he smeared, he sent. I went, I washed, I saw. Why do you keep wanting to hear it again? Why do you weep wanting to know more and more details? Do you want to become his disciples also? <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. Boy, that got their goat. Oh, see, we, we are not his. We are, you are his disciple, they said. We are disciples of Moses. Moses, the giver of the law. And Moses had a lot to say about the Sabbath, by the way. We, the, as far as this Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. He's not one of us. His father is not a Pharisee. He didn't go to our schools. In fact, don't even let us get started on some of the rumors that are going on or out there about his father. We don't know who this Jesus is. I said, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing that you don't know who he is when he has given me sight. For ever since the beginning of time, no one has opened the eyes of someone born blind. That this man is sent from God, it can't be denied. What did they do? They cursed me. They grabbed me. They threw me outside. So there I was, banished from their presence. Well, that wasn't so bad. But they banned me from the temple. They, they, they cast me out of the synagogue, it's called, which means I'm shunned from my society. I have been made by their declaration as a Samaritan or a leper among my own people. Even those neighbors that had so quickly rallied around me and brought me to them, I look around, not that I'd recognize them, but they seem to have faded away into the crowd. My parents were even afraid to walk home with me. And yet there I was, as I stood in the midst of the crowd, alone. He found me. And I wouldn't have recognized him. And I really don't know how he found me. But here he was talking to me. And it was easy to tell by the sound of his voice that he was the reason that I could see. And so he says to me, do you believe in the Son of Man? And assuming him to be a prophet, when he says the Son of Man, well, I know who that is. I've heard of him before. The Son of Man was spoken of in the prophet Daniel. The Son of Man is the one who, who comes from heaven, sent by God, and he comes to earth, and he establishes God's kingdom. The Son of Man is the Messiah, sent by God from heaven as a man to earth for us. And if he's a prophet, and he knows who the Son of Man is, I say, 
Show me who he is, Lord, so that I may believe in him. And then he says to me, you have seen him. Well, I haven't seen anybody for very long. He says, you have seen him. In fact, the one who is speaking to you is he. All of a sudden, it became clear. He stooped. He spat. And even as he stooped, his spittle comes down to the earth. And it's mingled with the dust of the earth out of which our humanity comes. And this one mingled from heaven, mingled with the dust of the earth, applied to the very point of my human need. Now I saw it. He was the Son of Man. He was the one sent from heaven to be mingled into our humanity and to be applied to the point of our sinful need. God's mercy, God's help for us. And it was, it was all I could do. I fell down before him. And I said, Lord, I believe. And I worshiped him. I worshiped him. He said, this is why he came into the world. For people just like me. He came into the world to judge sin. So that those who were blinded by sin could see. The Pharisees, some of them were still hanging around. They're listening in, of course, they always are. And the Pharisees said to him, what about us? <laughs> are we blind too? You know, they were quite sure they could see very well. And Jesus said to them, it's interesting. I would have been quick too, but Jesus did not even judge them. He said, well, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But since you say we can see, then your guilt remains, not believing in me. You see, we pass judgment on ourselves by what we decide about Jesus. We determine our own condition. We label ourselves by whether or not we will see him as who he has shown himself to us to be. So what about you? Do you believe? Do you see him? Then and now, people have all kinds of ideas about just who Jesus is. He told us who he is. He is the light of the world. We are blind in our human brokenness, and he lets us see God in all of God's wonderful, searching us out mercy. That's who he is. We are blind in our brokenness, and he lets us see. Knowing what it is to be blind, I am saddened by those who, maybe it's out of fear, maybe it's out of pride, Maybe it's out of stubborn self-reliance, but they have screwed their eyes tight shut and they will not see the one who could open their eyes, the one who could give them a whole new life like he did to me. Do you see him? Do you see him? Then do you remember what he said? 
When he first came walking up, do you remember what he said? What I overheard him saying to his followers? He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. Well, wait a minute. When, I, when he was walking up, I thought he said, he must do the works of him who sent me. But no. He said, while it is day, we must do the works of God who sent him. Well, that changes things. Because night is coming when no man would work, could work, and yet he is the light of the world while he's in the world, and yet he left the world. He died for us. He rose again, and he is not here. He is risen. So how could we work at all? We must do the works of God who sent him. And yet it is the one who was himself the light of the world who says to us, concerning us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones, in fact, who among all nations, you are to shine as lights in the midst of darkness. Wow. Think about it for a minute. That great privilege, that great honor, that, that, that identity of who he was as the light of the world to show them God, he has, he has shared that identity with us. He has invited us into the work that God sent him to do. We must do the works of God who sent him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should spit and stir and smear it in someone's eyes. Be careful what you do when you go from here today. But if you are going to shine as his light in darkness, you are going to have to stoop a little bit. If we are going to do the work of him who sent him, then we are going to have to mingle ourselves and our own lives into the messes of humanity. We're going to have to come near to those around us, even to risk rejection of those who do not see so that maybe some of them will see. To me, this is more amazing even than the fact that he made me to see that he would give me a part in the work that God gave to him, that he would give me to be as Isaiah speaks of him. Our great prophet Isaiah says that he was a light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison and to release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. And he has invited us into his calling. Once I was helpless in darkness, once I was blind, but now I can see. And now he sends you and me to give his light and to give sight to others around us. I want you to think of someone now. I want you to think of someone you know who is blind to Jesus. They don't see him for who he really is. They've written him off as somebody far less Maybe it's somebody you see every day. Maybe it's somebody you don't really notice. 
Think of someone you know who doesn't know God's rescue for their need. God's mercy for their brokenness. Because that's who I want us to pray for. That God would open their eyes as he has opened ours. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do ask you to work again your wonderful work of mercy. Father, we pray that you would do, Lord, for someone near to us, somebody we know. Father, we pray that for this one or for these ones, Father, you would open their eyes spiritually, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they too could know the hope of your calling, a glorious future you have for those who believe in Jesus, that you would make them even your own treasure, your own inheritance, the great power you have toward those who believe in Jesus to help them in their need, to give them strength to walk and to see. Father, this one whom we know, this one who needs to know you, Father, would you use us in their lives? Father, help us to not fear rejection. Help us to even stoop from where we have held back and to come near, to be willing to get close enough to be mingled into some of the mess that there we could be to them the mercy that Jesus has been for us. Father, would you use us in Jesus' work? of saving others in his name. Father, we bring this offering before you. Lord, we ask you to use it. Not in any way because we want to do some good need that, deed that would cause you to perhaps look more favorably upon us. But Father, because you have called us into your work, we present ourselves to you. And so we give from what we have to you asking you if you would be pleased to use it. And Father, if you would be pleased to use us, because we want people around us to know our Jesus also. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.